So as many of you know, I grew up in Worcester, and I'm now living in the house that I lived in, and that was me on our street. Somebody needs to get some help for that kid. He's sitting in the middle of the road with his dog. But uh, yeah, I grew up, uh, I had a good family, wonderful mom and dad, two older brothers, and so on. My dad was a very good man, but he was an atheist, which is a really kind of unusual. Most people who, you know, don't want to do stuff with God, they're what we call agnostics, which simply means they don't know. But my dad really knew, or so he thought, uh, that there is no God. And so uh, when my mother would dutifully take us around the corner from uh, that, uh, that picture to our little church around the corner, um, whatever they were preaching didn't take in my life. And uh, as soon as I could, about age 12, I decided I had enough of that because I wanted to be like Dad, being able to sleep in and read the paper on Sunday mornings. So it wouldn't be until I was about 20 years of age uh, that when I was at college in the theater department, I met some people in the theater who loved Jesus. And one thing led to another. And on tax day, 1973, I gave myself to Jesus Christ. And... Uh, it was an amazing time, and my life just dramatically changed from that point on. I felt like it was sort of springtime. I, uh, there's a picture of me that's coming up uh, that gives you an idea of what I kind of look like. And a, a tie wasn't what I was wearing. That was for a special occasion. That would be later on, actually, when I met the woman of my life, Hallie, who is uh, right in front of me in their family's Volkswagen bus. Remember the VW buses? Yeah, little micro bus. So anyway, it was a great spring that I had in 1973. I just felt like I knew the master of the universe, the birds and the bees and all that stuff. It was just like, wow, just incredible. Everything kind of awakened in a beautiful way. A lot of my anxiety was put aside and I was just as happy as can be until... December 30th, 1973, I had accepted an invitation to go to a student missions conference in the frozen tundra of, of Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. And uh, so this was a four-day missions conference with 18,000 of our closest friends. And we gathered in this thing, this giant saucer. Uh, it looked like a spaceship had landed out in the tundra. And 18,000 of us were crammed in there listening to speakers uh, talking about Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe. And I loved it. I heard music that I'd never heard before, kind of this praise music stuff that was then coming onto the scene. And it was a great time. Until on the night of December 30th, when a guy stepped up to give a talk that just smacked me between the eyes and frankly really irritated me and frustrated me. This is how the talk began. Is Jesus Christ Lord of my life? One of the tremendous things about being a Christian is knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. And that's true whether a person believes it or not. And one of the great realities of being a Christian is knowing that ultimately Jesus Christ is going to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords and be acknowledged as such. Whenever I'm feeling alone and in a minority, I often think of those tremendous words in Philippians 2. You remember when we are told that the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, will be exalted by God the Father, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You and I are on the winning side, and we should never lose sight of it, and we should live day by day with the long view in mind. But the question we face tonight is, is Jesus Christ Lord of my life? Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? 
So that was how the talk began. And it zeroed in on that very question. Is Jesus Christ Lord of my life? And I was dumbstruck by that concept. Because I had received Jesus as my Savior. The one who was going to deal with my sin, going to deal with my anxiety, deal with my questions, my doubts, my loneliness, and so on. And he did that and more. But I somehow had missed the concept that Jesus was supposed to be boss of my life. Now, I believe that he was boss of the universe. He was Lord of everything. But I'd never really gotten the idea that he was supposed to actually be in charge of me to be the one who directed my steps. I didn't realize that this was what he wanted. In fact, that night as he went on, I, I sort of started feeling like I'd been bait and switched. You know, sort of like when you get, see an ad, you know, crumbs across the screen and they tell you they've got this great product and you go in and they say, oh, sorry, we're out, but we have this. And that's what I sort of felt happen. You know, Jesus saying, come, come, come. I'll be your savior. You'll have a great life. And I said, great, wonderful. I feel great. This is awesome. And then he said, okay, now comes the bill. You're going to be the, uh, I'm going to be the Lord of your life. And I felt like, hey, 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 what's the deal here? I like this life. I, I liked kind of your being my savior and kind of I could call on you and you will take care of me and so on. So all that night, I went down into the basement of one of the dorms at the University of Illinois. I spent the night yelling at God, crying, reading my Bible, trying to deal with this thing, kind of hoping that there might be some kind of out. But the more I prayed, the more I looked at the scriptures that night, the more I realized that I had no option. If I was going to continue with Jesus, he had to become not just my Savior, but my Lord. So very early on that first day of 1973, I said the very same words that I had said eight months before when I gave my life to Jesus in the first place. And it was a very simple prayer. You might want to write this down. The prayer is okay. <laughs> that was it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. And I don't know, if you speak another language, maybe you can tell me another way to say that. But um, in any event... That was the prayer I prayed because I knew what I was doing, that I was giving myself to Jesus Christ as Lord and that my life was never, ever going to be the same. Now, earlier this week, I did say to myself, I wonder if that message is still out there. And so I went to the web, and sure enough, there it was. And you know the audio quality wasn't great, but I listened to that message as I was driving in the car going back up to a family camp that Hallie and I were at this last week. And I started to bawl. I started to weep. Because if I hadn't been in that seat on that night, in that frozen tundra, with that guy giving that message, I don't know what would have happened in my life. You see, I was kind of a Christian hedonist. I was sort of like Jesus was there for me, and I wanted him to do what I wanted to do. That's a life that's going to lead to a lot of destruction. And I know God rescued me from a whole life that probably would have ended with my being dead. But on that night, I said, okay, you have charge of my life. And my life has never been the same. So I thank God that that confession, that faith, which is the faith of the church. If you want to sum up the faith of the church in a few words, it's real simple. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, and not just of the big picture, but of the personal picture. Jesus is Lord. And that's the way I've lived 
for the last four decades. Have I been perfect at it? No, but he's been the perfect Lord for me. He's been the perfect one to run and direct my life. Everything good that has ever come into my life since then has come from Jesus Christ and Lord. So I'm praying for you, for some of you very specifically this morning, that this message that I'm going to bring, a variation of what that man said on that night, will have the same effect on you, that it'll radically change your life forever if you have somehow, like I did, missed the concept that Jesus is Lord. So would you join me in prayer just for a moment? So Lord, um, I do pray that you would speak your word and only your word. And it's really clear from your word, Lord, that you are the Lord and that you desire and in fact demand and command that you be the Lord of our lives one way or another. We pray that it would not be that we see that at the end of our life, you were the Lord. No, that you are the Lord right now. So Holy Spirit, you are indeed welcome here. And so we ask you to come and to make the word of God alive in us and live out through us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are in the fourth in our series of questions Jesus asked. And the basic question tonight is, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Or actually, it's not tonight. It was tonight. It's today. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? In a sense, the answer to that question forms the basis of our answering the first three questions that we've looked at already. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then his question, the first one we look like, what are you looking for? Ultimately, we're looking for him to be our Savior and Lord. Our second question that he asked, why are you so fearful? If he's the Lord, that's a great question. Why are you so fearful if he's in charge of everything and in charge of your life? And then the question last week, do you believe that I am able to do this? That's a great question. If Jesus is Lord, we say, yes, you are. I believe. Help my unbelief. So for today, open your Bibles, if you will, either electronically or page-wise, to page 646. Would somebody tell me what page of the church edition? What is it? 729. You'll find Bibles in front of you if you don't have one. 729, Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Now let's go over the context of this question in terms of the gospel, the story that Luke, the physician, is telling about Jesus. Now Luke really alone, along well really with Matthew, he tells us some of the extraordinary details surrounding Jesus' birth in his early years, including his having to escape assassination when his parents brought him from Nazareth, uh, from Bethlehem to Egypt to escape the wrath of the king. However, in general, for all the Gospels, the first 30 years of Jesus' life seems to be very ordinary and that nothing much is said about them except just it's a little extraordinary that God is now living as a man on earth. But when he turns 30, as recorded in Luke chapter 3, Jesus, if you will, makes a decision that seems to change the destiny of his life forever. He goes out into the wilderness to be baptized by his cousin, John. And he's reminded there, in case he ever forgot, and of course he did not, that he is the chosen, beloved, and pleasing Son of God. And immediately his life changes. He's no more going to be a carpenter with his dad. 
He instead goes out further into the wilderness where he's tested by Satan. He then goes back into his hometown and he's rejected in Nazareth. He's opposed by demons. He goes after infirmities and illness. And he proclaims the life of the kingdom of God that he says has come amongst you because I am here. And the destiny of the rest of his life is set as he submits supremely to the will of his heavenly Father in every detail, even unto the submission to death when he's willing to suffer and die on the cross so that your sin and mine might be forgiven. And then he is raised up to life again so that all who will put their trust in him and follow him will also be raised to new life. And then he does the same kind of transformative work for a group of people who just begin to follow him because he's like a rock star initially. They go out to see what's going on with this guy. But then there's some of them who decide to follow after him as they join him in prayer and study. And eventually they start trying to do some of the things that he does. And they're eventually called disciples, a word aligning with the word discipline. They're people who are learning what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. And eventually they are invited to surrender control of their lives to God's will. And they come to call him as their Lord. Now that word Lord is a power word back in the day of Jesus. Yes, it's a word that literally means boss. But it was also the word that was coined literally coined, put on the Roman coins, by the Roman emperor, the Caesars, who all claimed to be divine. They claimed the right to be called Lord Caesar, which meant we are the top of the heap. In fact, we are God. And so when Jesus said that he was Lord, from the very beginning, this was a threat to the political power of the day. So this was a word of cultural defiance to say that Jesus was Lord. A word indicating these disciples were forever going to be set apart from the world that they lived in and its values and its direction because they had submitted themselves to their Lord Jesus. But still, Jesus wanted to make it very clear for them what it means to claim him as Lord, as he did for me that December night and as he will do for some of you here this morning. So he asked them the question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I say? Now that's a great question and may have several responses. Perhaps we call Jesus Lord and don't do what he says because Jesus is Lord is just religious talk, sort of like God bless America. Jesus might be subjecting that when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? It's almost as if it is literally in quotes, as if some people are going, oh Lord, Lord, but they really don't mean it. It's kind of like a spiritual buzzword. You see, some people say they're followers of Jesus, that he's their Lord, particularly when they're in church, praise the Lord, but it's really clear when you meet them elsewhere that they don't believe that he's Lord since they allow other things or other people to run their lives, whether it be their family or their friends or their school or what they do for recreation or what they do on electronics. They all seem to say those other things. They seem to have a greater say in the direction of these people's lives than Jesus Christ. You know, a while ago, I met a Christian leader in Nigeria where there's incredible persecution of Christians on the part of radical Islamists. And you know what he said? He said this, the problem here for the church is not Islam. The problem for the church here is nominalism. 
people who say they're Christians but don't really live it. Wow, that's really astounding. If he's saying that about Nigeria, can you imagine what he thinks about this country? You see, Jesus said much that called people to change, to change their lives. And some of us may not want to have Jesus as Lord because we don't want him to do that. That was me. I didn't want him speaking to me. I wanted to ask him for what I wanted. But Jesus is somebody who wants to change our lives. He says things to us like this. Repent and believe the good news. He says things like, love your enemies. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He says, forgive others without exception so that your heavenly Father will forgive you. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and and his righteousness. And then he says things like, if your eye or your hand causes you to sin, pluck it out or cut it off. Not meaning literally, but he's saying there's some things that you're going to get into with your eyes or your hands that you just need to take out of your life. And I say, I don't think so. So perhaps we call Jesus Lord and don't do what he says because we really don't want Jesus to be Lord running our lives. We just want him to be our helper, our little savior, and rub his belly. Good stuff comes out of him. That was me. I liked my life. I particularly liked this new life with Jesus. It was great, but it was lived on my terms. I went with Jesus when it suited me, and it suited me most of the time. But there were those times when I said no. No, that's too much. I said no to him because I didn't like what I was being asked to do. In fact, you know, as I was coming to Jesus, I had a Bible and I would cross verses out that I didn't like. Just went right through. That's ridiculous. Nobody can do that. No, no, that isn't going to happen. Well, you know, over the course of this time, I began to erase all of those crossouts. As I saw that Jesus was saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? I got a great life for you if you'll just submit to me as Lord. In this, it was really clear that I needed to do some growing in this whole lordship thing. But, but how else are you going to know if Jesus is your Lord? I suppose we could join Nike and say, well, you just got to do it. Just do it. And a little while after, near the end of this message, we're going to give you an opportunity to give yourself to Jesus as Lord, as that's something you've never really considered. But perhaps it would be helpful to know a little bit more about what it would be like, what it would be like if you were to have Jesus as Lord of your life. Uh, To do this, we're going to imagine that Jesus uh, were to ask us, am I the Lord of your life? And that if you're like me, you might say, well, how would I know that? Or what does that mean? And that he were then going to ask us some additional questions to help us to understand what that means. So here's one of the questions he might ask. He says to you, am I the Lord of your life? And you say, well, what does that mean? And then he asks this question. What are you normally thinking about? What are you normally thinking about? What occupies your mind the first thing in the day, randomly throughout the day, and then the last thing at night? Is it him? Is it me, he says, or is it someone else? On that night in December 1973, Paul Little used the image of a tape measure, and it just so happens that I always carry a tape measure on my keychain. I don't know why. There's just something about it. You know, I use this a lot. 
but he had this image that your mind goes places. So, you know, your mind goes to work. And then it goes back again after you're done with work. Or it goes to somebody special. And it goes out here. But then when you're done with that, it goes back there. And then maybe it goes over here to something you're learning. And so it kind of stretches out. And if you're an old codger like me, it's hard to learn new things. You've got to stretch and stretch and then it comes back. His question is, what does your mind routinely come back to? Does it come back to Jesus? Does it come back to thoughts of God? Now, you may say, that's a little crazy. No, it's not. When you give yourself to Jesus as Lord, your mind begins to be transformed. Can I get an amen on that? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just kind of fascinating. And actually, there is a a Christian practice called practicing the presence of God, just allowing God to come in. And here's the amazing thing. You can have God in your mind, Jesus in your mind, and you can be very clearly focusing on whatever task it is in front of you, your job, your schoolwork, taking care of business, talking with somebody. You have this thing in your head and in your heart. So the question is, what is it you normally think about? What is it that goes on in there? And Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we need to be transformed by the renewing of these minds, minds that are surrendered to him as we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So that's one question. The other question might be this, what's your ambition in life? What is it that you are striving for, either in terms of work or family or life accomplishments? And is this something that you think God would be pleased with? Or more importantly, is it something that God has asked you to do, to strive for? Or is it something that you've made up yourself? Do you believe that this is actually God's ambition for your life? And yes, his ambition may well involve business. It may involve learning and study. It isn't just something spiritual because everything is infused with the Holy Spirit in this world. And so, because how do we know that? Well, Jesus himself was a businessman for 30 years. He worked in his father's carpenter shop from probably as soon as he could walk around. And it was kind of like Joseph and son carpenter shop until that 30th year when something new began to happen and God said, okay, now it's time to fulfill this particular part of my plan for you. But those 30 years, that was God's plan for Jesus, that he'd be engaged in business. And that could be God's plan for you, or maybe not. Maybe you're in an occupation. Maybe you're engaged in some kind of enterprise that as you think about it, even though it's nothing bad, you just are aware that you've never asked God, is this what you want me to be doing? And God may be saying, actually, that thing that you put aside a number of years ago, that's where I wanted you to go. Or he may say, no, actually, this is fine, but now let me show you how to do it. Let me show you how to do it better. Again, from St. Paul, we hear, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands. But then he adds, have as your ambition to be pleasing to God. And then he says this, whatever you do in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what's your ambition? Is it God's ambition for you? That's a way you can determine whether he's Lord of your life. How about this question that he might ask? Um, What's your desire for relationships? What is it, or more accurately, who is it that you're looking for to be in a relationship with? Are you looking for somebody that can satisfy your desire for love or sex 
or perhaps for status with family and friends? And have you given this natural desire for relationship and intimacy to the control of God? Do you agree that the person that you're with is good for you and that the Lord agrees that that person is good for you? Or would you imagine that Jesus is saying, I don't think so? Are his standards of sexual expression, which is only in committed marriage, are those the same for you and your partner as they are for God? Married people, Jesus would say, are you keeping your life vows physically and mentally? Because the writer of the Hebrews says, let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. And have you given your desire to be married, if you're unmarried here, have you given that desire to be married to the Lord, knowing that if you serve Jesus as Lord, whether you remain unmarried or whether you do get married, it really doesn't make a difference because you can have a great life either way if you are submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord. We had this guy who used to show up routinely to our house. He was introduced to us by a friend of a friend, and we called him our angel. He was a little weird, a little strange. He comes from Maine. He's kind of just one of those, uh, nothing about Maine, but just Chris was weird. But he would come to the house, and he was like a prophet. And he once said this to our daughters. He said, girls, he said, if you intend to be married, here's what you need to do. He said, you need to run as hard and fast after Jesus as you can, and then look around and see if there's anybody keeping up. That's the kind of guy you want to be with. And you know what? One of our daughters who's married, that's exactly what she did. And that was the guy who was huffing and puffing over her shoulder following Jesus. Our other daughter is not yet married, and in part because she will not settle. She will not settle for a man who's not running after Jesus like she is. I applaud her. I applaud her. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned him or her, whether that is married or unmarried, just as God has called them to marriage or not to marriage, for a season or for a lifetime, just as God has called. And in Philippians 4.12, Paul says this, I've learned to be content in all situations, for I can do all this through him who strengthens me. That's another question Jesus said. What about your relationships? Am I in that? Am I directing that? And then this question that really kind of boils it down. Do you agree with my word or not? Getting back a little closer to Jesus' original question in the text today, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say, his word? You can think back to the last time that you felt God was asking you to do something or to agree with something, either from his word or from the example of people around you or from the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, and you said, uh-uh, I don't think so. If it's no, then at least in that particular area, whether it be how you live your life or whether you pay your tithe or whether you pay your taxes or you keep the speed limit, you could say that Jesus is not Lord of your life in that area. And if you repeatedly, across the board, find yourself disagreeing with God's word on things and acting in accord with your belief, then I believe we could say that Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life at all. Even though you claim yourself to be a Christian, maybe you're coming to church regularly. 
For Jesus said this, anyone who loves me will keep my word and my commandments. In fact, as Hudson Taylor, the pioneering missionary to China centuries ago once said, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he really isn't Lord at all. So, perhaps you're getting some clarity now about what it means for Jesus to be Lord of your life. Well, what difference does it make? So what if Jesus isn't Lord of your life or my life? Well, let's continue on with what Jesus said to his disciples. Back to the text now, Luke 6 and verse 47. Jesus said, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. Let's stop there just for a moment. That's a good definition of what it means to have Jesus as Lord. Those who hear the words of Jesus, the word of God, and put them into practice. And then he shows us what they're like. He gives us a promise. He gives us a picture of what the difference it actually is going to make if Jesus is really Lord of your life. Read verse 48. Here it goes. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but couldn't shake it because it was well built. Now just as a builder constructs a house well, and it withstands all the elements, including perhaps a flood, which in Jesus' part of the world would have been a flash flood because the ground was really dry and whatever rain came, whoosh, it would come out of nowhere and blast away a house that wasn't built well on a good foundation. So those who build their life on saying yes and yes and yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, they will find that when the floods of life come, not if when they come, but when they come, because everybody's going to have a flood here. Everybody's going to have a crisis in their life. Whether it be a serious health crisis in yourself or in one you love, the loss of a loved one or a relationship, a financial reversal, or maybe a national disaster, those kind of people will remain firm and secure because they've built their lives on the lordship of Jesus Christ, the rock of salvation. Jesus promises not that the floods will never come, but that when they do, he will be with us and he will help us to survive and, in fact, even to thrive. Now, my wife Hallie and I, the woman in the picture who's in the seventh row or whatever, We've been through a lot of reversals in our life, and one of the ones we're going through right now is probably the most challenging we've ever had. But I've got to say to you, though we cry about it, though we're not happy about what's going on with us, and particularly with her, we are secure. We are confident. We know that whatever happens, Jesus is going to be there, and it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. We felt kind of a strange, weird kind of grace at this time of our life. It's just kind of... We wouldn't wish this on anybody, and yet, in a weird kind of way, we wouldn't give away what God is showing us about himself right now. He is the faithful one. He is faithful to those who have placed their trust in him. That's what's happened. It's not because we're brave. It's not because we're in denial. I hope it's not because we're senile. It's just that we trust the Lord, and it's been an amazing ride thus far. That's the real life insurance you need, friends, is having Jesus as Lord. However, the opposite is also true, verse 49. The one who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it was collapsed, and its destruction was complete. When a house is built without a foundation, as they are in some parts of the country, 
They're vulnerable to disaster, just as a life built on saying no to the words of Jesus is a life that will collapse when the floods of life will come upon it, either small or great, because that kind of life has no strong foundation in Christ to hold on to when things fall apart. So maybe you can ask yourself, how do I respond to trouble when it comes in my life? Do I fall apart? Or do I try to laugh it away or kind of deny it? Or do I find myself sustained by the Lord who I say yes to? You see, this morning, everybody here is being given a warning. And I'm just the messenger. This is not my words. These are the word of God. The warning is this. You don't want to live life without Jesus as your Lord. The warning is what's going to happen to you if you give lip service to Jesus as Lord but not life service. That may apply to some of us in the room right now because a potentially crushing crisis is just around the corner. Or maybe it, it is here right now. We're warned not to live without Jesus as the Lord of life. Now, we just witnessed the dedication of children. And did you catch what Pastor Tom was doing here? Yes, they were dedicating to the children to the Lord. But really, the dedication was about the parents. Because here's the deal. The ones who really know whether Jesus is Lord of your life are the people you live with and your children. They can see whether it's a lot of lip service or whether it really is life service. Those children that were dedicated this morning, they're going to live largely the way their parents live. Now, there will be exceptions, and God comes in and rescues, as he did with me. But how much better would it have been for me? I would have made far less mistakes if my mom, and particularly my dad, had been surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of the warning. And in a moment, I'm going to give everybody here an opportunity to heed that warning and to make sure that Jesus is Lord of your life. But there's another thing that's going on here today. There's an invitation There's an invitation to receive Jesus as Lord, to dedicate ourselves to him as that, and to discover what happens to those who give themselves fully to him. Yes, it's not an easy life to follow Jesus as Lord. Yes, it's not easy to say yes to Jesus and no to the world. Yes to Jesus and no to those important people who say, oh, come on, who cares? It'll be fine. No, I'm going to say yes to the Lord. That's That's a hard way of life, but there's no better way to live. I can tell you, my life, I guess, is divided into thirds. The first third of my life was without Christ. I can tell you the last two-thirds have been so much better than I could ever imagine. It's a great way to live. There is no better way to live. I have never regretted that decision on New Year's Eve when I said yes, when I said, okay, go ahead, run this life. He's run it really well, and it's been pleasing to me. It's even been more pleasing than that first kind of honeymoon period when, and the same way with marriage. Any of you here married, it gets sweeter and sweeter and better and better so that when you get into a situation like we're in, man, it's just amazing. It's amazing the love that just pours out of your heart. Peter once said to Jesus, you have the words of life and we've come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. That really sums it up. So right now, I want to give you that opportunity that was given to me four decades ago to give yourself to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now only you and he really know whether he's Lord of your life. So I'm going to ask him right now to speak to you in a minute of silence. And this is going to seem like a long time for some of you. A minute of silence for you just to imagine Jesus coming to you and saying, are you the Lord of my life? 
Or are you to ask yourself, is Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? Listen to God, the inner witness of your heart and mind and the Holy Spirit, and see what your response is to that question. So probably you have some form of an answer now to that question. Is Jesus Lord of my life? And maybe you've heard yes. Maybe you've heard no, at least in the whole or maybe in some portion. Or maybe you've heard yourself saying, I still don't get it. I don't know. I want to address first those of you in the last category. Maybe all of this matter is unclear because you've never really received Jesus as your Savior in the first place. You've never really connected with him in any real way. You may have some kind of belief in God, as I did when I was growing up, but you've never become one of his true children because you've never invited him to become a real part of your life. See, when Jesus was once asked what it meant for people to follow him and to be saved, he would often say, repent and believe the good news. To repent is to change one's mind or to change one's direction in life from self to savior, from sin to following Jesus, and to seek his forgiveness for trying to run your life by, him, by yourself. And the good news is that Jesus is where God came to make possible the forgiveness of our self-will and so that we could turn to him and that he could come to be in charge of our life. And then he died for our sins to forgive us and rose to new life so that we might come to new life in him. The Apostle Paul of John said this, that all who receive Jesus and believe in his name, he gave power to become children of God. So finding Jesus as Lord involves receiving him by inviting him to make you into one of his children who commits to living in love and obedience to him and believes that he is indeed the Savior and Lord. So I'm going to pray a prayer now. Pastor Tom, if you'd come up on the stage with me as well. I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication for all of us, whether we answered yes, no, or I don't know, but particularly for the I don't know people. This is a prayer for you. And I'd like all of us who feel comfortable doing that. Again, we have some guests today. You can just kind of watch this. But I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication, and I'm going to ask those of you who wish to just pray this prayer after me. And for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this. That's in a sense, who I'm speaking to right now. So whatever it is you do to pray, if you want to bow your head, fine. If you want to keep your eyes open, fine. Let's just pray. Take a moment just to center on the Lord. So now repeat after me, if you will. Lord Jesus, I turn myself to you, asking you to forgive me for trying to live without you. I believe that you came to earth to die in my place, to forgive my sins, and that you rose to life to give me new life. I receive you as my Savior and Lord and ask you to make me your child so that I can live in love and obedience to you, in union with your church, and in serving you in your world. In your name I pray. Amen.
Now, if that was the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, if that was kind of your giving yourself to Jesus for the first time, and that probably is true for some of us here in this room, then I'm going to ask you to do something really bold that may be challenging for you. I'm going to ask you to come forward. If, it's, if you're up in the balcony, you can come on down. If you're here, just come forward because we want to have kind of a prayer of dedication for you and for others who will be following after you in just a moment. Now, why do I ask you to do that publicly? Because Jesus died for you publicly. He didn't do it in some back room. He did it out in the open, giving himself to a horrible death for you. And so that's all he asks of you is that you might respond. So if that was a prayer you prayed for the first time, would you come forward now? Thank you. Anybody else? Some folks coming down from the balcony? Come on up. Just stay here if you can. Okay, now I want to speak to those who have already given themselves to Jesus Christ. You've already done this. You've already gone there. But somehow, as I was speaking, and as maybe God spoke to you, you can honestly admit that no, Jesus has not become Lord of your life. You're like I was. You're a believer. But you know that Jesus is not calling the shots. Maybe he is in some areas, but in a sense, he's not. If that applies to you, would you make that same public commitment that you're going to follow Jesus as Lord? Would you come forward now? So now I'm going to lead us in prayer, okay? So Lord Jesus, I thank you for this expression of dedication, just as parents dedicated children to the Lord and themselves to the Lord earlier this morning. So now we pray for these here who are dedicating or rededicating themselves to you for the first time or for uh, the hundredth time. And for those, Lord, who are dedicating themselves to just learning more about what it means to have you as Lord and Savior in their life. So I pray, Lord, that you would just bless this commitment, this dedication. I pray, Lord, that you would work in my life, Lord. I'm aware there are areas of my life that I haven't surrendered to you, so I'm part of this group. So, Lord, I just pray that you would come and send the Holy Spirit so that we might be encouraged to say yes to you from this moment forward, where we don't to ask your forgiveness and direction and say, how can I do this, Lord? And you will show us, for you are a good Lord. You are a good director of our life. So anoint with the Holy Spirit each of these people. We thank you, Lord, for this day of dedication. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks for coming forward.